This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles this evening and go to the Old Testament. And we come this evening to the book of Haggai. And um, that's an Old Testament prophet that we uh, do not often visit. But Haggai has a message for the people of the Lord. And so I hope that you will go there with me. Haggai chapter number one. We'll begin reading in... Uh, Verse number one of Haggai. The Bible says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus, Speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much. And bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take Pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth. And upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I want you to notice this phrase we find twice in the opening chapter here, the book of Haggai. There are only two, so just two short chapters. But a statement we read in verse number 5, and also we'll find it again in verse number 7. Just three words, consider your ways. It's always good for us to pause and consider our ways. The word ways here has the idea, the meaning of your pattern of life your behavior, your conduct, uh, the pursuit, the path of your life, the direction, the course of it. And so God is speaking to his people and he says to them, consider your ways. I want us to pray together. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing as we read or as we seek to uh, examine this passage together. Our Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word and that you would stir our hearts as you sought to stir the hearts of your people uh, during the time period when you sent Haggai, your prophet, to speak to them. I pray that you would speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll note some things here in this passage in just a moment, but let me give you just a bit of background. The Bible tells us here in verse number one, it is the second year of Darius the king. Darius is the king of Persia. And what we know about the captivity and the return is that Jeremiah the prophet prophesied to the people of Jerusalem, to the Jews during uh, the invasion of the Babylonians. Uh, during that invasion, Jeremiah said to them, this is the judgment of God. God has sent Nebuchadnezzar to carry you away captive, to judge you for your idolatry. And you will be carried away for 70 years. Uh, many of the people resisted. In fact, the king resisted. And Jeremiah was imprisoned. And many of the people said, tell us, Jeremiah, what is the word of the Lord? And he would tell them the word of the Lord. And then they would look at him and say to him, that's not the word of the Lord. It sounds a lot like the condition of America today, does it not? When people have openly rejected the truth of God's word. And Jeremiah's message to all those who would hear and hearken to his message was this. As you go into Babylon, understand that you're going to be there for a period of time. And understand this, that as you go, God is going with you. And that God has promised to take care of you. And so his message to them was when you go to Babylon, build your houses. Live your lives. Pray for the peace of that place and pray for your families and honor the Lord. We understand that the people were in captivity for 70 years. Uh, during that time, we have the record of Daniel uh, who continued under the first year of King Cyrus. He was the Persian king who uh, was in control, was, in, was reigning when the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Cyrus in 536 B.C. told the Jews, I'm going to let you go. It was the policy of Cyrus to honor the king or the gods of the lands that he had conquered. And so understanding that Jehovah God was the God of the Jews, 
he was allowing them to return to Jerusalem. He told them upon their return that they could rebuild the city and they could rebuild the temple. And this they began to do. When they returned to the city, they found that it had been, uh, it had been destroyed. They found it in disarray. The temple, of course, was destroyed. There was much rubbish. We have the record of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, which is uh, contemporary with Haggai, the prophet. We have that record that tells us the situation of the city of Jerusalem and the dreadful conditions that they found. There was a work to be done. And so they began to rebuild the temple. Cyrus was killed in battle and his successor shut down the work of the temple. In 520 BC, the second year of Darius, the king, uh, Darius then allowed the work of God, the work of the temple, to go on after it had been halted for a number of years. But what we find is that the people had no appetite. By that time, having been conditioned by their life in Babylon, uh, they had become people who were accustomed to comfort and not accustomed to sacrifice. Again, it sounds a lot like our modern day Christianity in Western America today, in this Western culture in which we live. And God spoke to a prophet named Haggai and gave him a message. And he went to the people of the Lord and he offered this message. We've already noted it in verses five and seven. Consider your ways. As we look together at this thought, consider your ways, I want you to see just a few things. First of all, I want you to see, number one, the remnant of the people. The remnant of the people. The record tells us that somewhere under 50,000 people returned when given the opportunity. Now, there were many more Jews than that living in Babylon. In fact, there were multitudes more. But when given the opportunity to leave Babylon behind and return back to their spiritual roots and their spiritual heritage, back to the land that God had promised them and that God had provided for them, the land that they had lived in and occupied all those centuries. And the only reason they were removed from that land is because of their rebellion and their idolatry. But when given the opportunity to return, not many did. Just a few. So we see the remnant of the people. I want to say to you uh, this evening that uh, we, we are among the remnant of God's people in this world today. Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, people who love the Lord and love His Word and hold to the authority of Scripture believing that the Bible is the Word of God. That is a remnant of people today. And I am grateful to be among that remnant, aren't you? And here we see the remnant. These were people who had enough interest and enough concern when given the opportunity to return to Jerusalem, to leave behind Babylon and its idolatry and its prosperity, and its comfort, and its uh, system, to leave it behind, and to pursue uh, the Lord and his purposes and plans for their lives. And so we understand this is the remnant of the people. 
These are good people. We could use that terminology. That's kind of a term that we might use. These aren't people that we would uh, say necessarily have forsaken the Lord. These are people who are in church, maybe even on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. They are the remnant of the people. But we notice a second thing about this remnant. Though they were the remnant and though they had returned, they had the wrong priorities. Notice the message of Haggai when he comes to them in verse number two. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. There's a problem here. What is the problem? The temple had not been rebuilt. The center of their religious life, the center of their devotion, the place where they were to assemble and gather to offer sacrifices unto the Lord, the place where the name of the Lord was to be proclaimed. They had not rebuilt it. Now, remember some 16 years after given the opportunity to build it, and it still had not been built. Yes, there had been delays, but Darius had allowed them now to continue in the work, but they were not doing the work. Notice what the people said in verse 2. These people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Here we see their excuses, and their excuses refer to the time. How often do we use the same excuse? Well, this just isn't the time. I don't have time. This isn't the time. Uh, we look at our busy schedules and we say, there's just simply no time for me to serve the Lord. Or we may say this, as we look at the light of the situation, knowing that this is the last days, understanding the trials and tribulations that we are going to face, understanding that we are in an election year, and there are lots of uncertainties ahead of us, we might fall into the same trap that the remnant fell into all those years ago by saying, this isn't the time. The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. By the way, I think that that decision should be left up to God and not to us. I think that decision should be measured by the move of God and his Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church and not by us. I don't think it's up to our common sense thinking or our analysis of the economy or the political climate. I believe it is a step of faith and belief and conviction in God and his ability to do what he wants, where he wants, when he wants. Do we still believe God is able? Well, the people that had returned had forgotten that. And they were offering excuses. This is not the time. You don't understand, Haggai. Lord, you may, you may be speaking to us about building the temple, but as far as we can tell, the economic forecast is not all that great. And everybody's busy. And very few people are interested. And it just seems like we can't get anybody to show up and do the work. And so in the midst of their excuses... God sends his prophet again. Notice it in verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
consider your ways. Uh, we are again looking at their wrong priorities, the excuses that they made, and then God responds to them by saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, look at it in verse number four. Is it time for you, wait a minute, it's not time to build my house? And so the question is, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house, the, t the temple of God, to lie in waste? What is he saying? He's saying, you care more about your own comfort and your own home than you do about the house of God. You care more about your career and your business opportunities and your plans and your hobbies than you do the work of the Lord. What piercing words we hear from the prophet Haggai. As we think of our own schedules, we think of what is important to us and how we invest our time and I invest our dollars and invest our energies. What is important to us? Is it the work of God? Is it the worship of God? He said, oh, it is time for you, O oh, ye, to dwell in your sealed houses. The word sealed houses is referring to a lavish home. It's referring to uh, an unnecessary, lavish, uh, decorative uh, type of home. It, it, the reference here is to people who are living uh, above their means perhaps or unnecessarily in a way uh, that would uh, express their wealth and their desire for comfort. By the way, we live in such a world, don't we? Now remember, they had returned from Babylon. They had been conditioned by Babylon, living in that culture for 70 years. Uh, many of the people who returned had never been to Jerusalem before. And while we credit them for, for returning, while we credit them uh, for their passion for the Lord in returning, we understand that their thinking was still conditioned by the world. And the truth of the matter is, while we live in this world, our thinking has been conditioned by the world, has it not? And so he says to them, you have the wrong priorities. The remnant of the people with the wrong priorities. And then he speaks to them, thirdly, about their regrettable pursuits. Their regrettable pursuits. Notice what he says in verse 6. After saying to them, consider your ways, he says, ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now let me ask you this question. As you read verse number six with me, did you think that sounds familiar? Have you ever felt that way at the end of the day? I've worked hard and I have little to show for it. He said, you have sown much, you bring in little. He says, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. You earn wages, <laughs> and uh, those wages you put into a bag, and it seems like that bag has holes in it, right? How many of you can identify with that? Sure. And here he's speaking to them about their regrettable pursuits. And so notice the Lord's correction to them in verse number 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Here's what God is saying. You've got the wrong priority 
You've been pursuing the wrong things and you need to get your purpose straight. Verse eight, go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. Gentlemen, go up there, cut down the trees, harvest the lumber, bring it back, and build the house of God. This is what God is saying. And by the way, the work of God requires that we work. The work of God requires that we work. And there is a work for us to do. If we're going to have a music ministry, we have to have people come and practice and sing. Somebody has to plan. Someone has to prepare. If we're going to have a nursery, then we have to have volunteers and we have to have people there ready to receive the children. The room has to be prepared. It has to be clean. Toys have to be uh, 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 sanitized and, and ordered. We've got to have the right stuff, right? The building has to be maintained and cleaned. The lights have to be turned on. The air conditioning and the heat have to be regulated. The work has to be done to maintain those things. The electricity needs to operate. Light bulbs need to be replaced. All of these things are necessary in the work of the Lord. Sunday school teachers need to prepare and study and be ready to teach their classes. The, the, the restrooms have to be cleaned. The offices have to be constructed. The nursery has to be remodeled. A preschool building has to be erected. Uh, the, the Christian day school building has to be cared for. You see, if we're going to do the work of the Lord, then we have to have the right pursuit. And the pursuit should not be spent upon things that we might consume upon our lusts just for us. We live in that just for me culture. Our priorities are wrong. Our pursuits are wrong. And because we have the wrong pursuits, God is taking the time to correct us. Notice what he says in verse 9. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, when you brought that little home that you labored for, notice what God did in verse 9. I did blow upon it. When God blew upon it, what happened? It was scattered. It was lost. And then he says, why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth. And upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. The Lord said, I haven't blessed your work. I haven't blessed it. You see, when we establish the wrong priorities, we always spend our labor with the wrong pursuits. And we regret that at the end of the day. Because all that we were laboring for is gone. And even if we receive it, what do we find out about it? He said, you're, you're eating. Notice it again in verse, number, uh, in verse number six. You eat, but you have not enough. It doesn't satisfy you. How many people have found that out? 
They've accumulated wealth. They've accumulated prestige and power. They've accumulated possessions. But it's never enough for them. They're never satisfied. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. Why? Because none of those outer things, those peripheral things, can ever meet the need of the soul of a man. You see, there's only one pursuit that is a lasting pursuit. There's only one thing that does not yield vanity, just ask Solomon. And that is the work of God. And so we see the remnant of the people and we see their wrong priorities. We see their regrettable pursuits. And then we see the responsive people. Notice in verse number 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Here we see the responsive people. When confronted with the truth, and once they were asked to consider their ways, they did consider their ways. And they recognized that God was right and they were wrong and they repented and they returned to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What would it change? How would it change our lives if we got our priorities straight? How would it change our lives if we fell back in love with Jesus? How would it change our church if we made his work the priority? Speaking to people about the Lord, reading the word of God, being faithful to the house of God, supporting the work of God with tithes and offerings, laboring and volunteering and serving in ministry, reaching out to our community, demonstrating the love of Christ. These are the type of things that we can imagine happen during the days of Haggai when the people responded to the message of God. And then lastly, I want you to note the reassuring promise. The reassuring promise. The people now having repented, having returned, having reprioritized. Haggai the prophet speaks to them. Verse 13, then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. There it is, the reassuring promise. I am with you, saith the Lord. Why is it possible for the work of God, how is it possible for the work of God to continue in dark days? How is it possible for a temple to be constructed during an economic downturn? How is it possible for Jerusalem to flourish and the worship of God uh, to flourish and the name of, of, of God to be proclaimed in the midst of the political upheaval of the day. I want to tell you why it's possible. I want to tell you how it's possible. It is possible because God was with them. And may I say to you that God is with us. Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He told us that where two or three are gathered, that he would be in our midst. I want to tell you, I'm not that good at math, but I do know that we have more than two or three gathered here this evening. I don't know if we have two or three uh, cognizant people here. 
this evening, including me. But I know we have at least more than that. I'm glad you laughed a little bit. At least I know you're out there. I see your faces, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you see, God is with us. What's our hope this evening? Not that the president get reelected, although I hope he does. Our hope is in the Lord. Not that Wall Street gets it figured out and the economy booms. Not that one political party gets in power or one piece of legislation passes. And I hope there are good pieces of legislation that pass. And I hope that uh, certain people get in positions of power. But the truth of the matter is, those things have happened before and we've been let down. There is one who will never forsake us and there is one who will never leave us. There's one whose power is greater than all the power of the host of hell. That is Jesus and he is with us. And he has promised never to leave us. And his promises are sure. They're as fresh today as they were then. And when they heard that, something happened, verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Do you know what happened when they heard the promise? They got stirred in their hearts. You know what we need? We need a stirring of God in our midst, don't we? We need a stirring of God in our soul to, to, to reprioritize, uh, to understand that the pursuits of the world will only lead us to meaninglessness and emptiness and to understand that we must fulfill the purpose of God and we have his presence and we have his power. We need a stirring in our soul. Would you ask God to stir you this evening? The Bible says, and they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. And so just a few months later, here they are. They've been stirred. May God stir us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.